from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. One day in August 2018, Ali Reza Jafarzadi, Deputy Director of the National Council of Resistance of Iran, was in a restaurant in Los Angeles. I remember, you know, this guy who was a, a waiter at this restaurant constantly um, uh, tried to be around the table that I was eating there and talking with others and trying to see, uh, you know, what my conversations are all about, to be very friendly, offering, you know, extra food. It turns out the waiter was a spy for the Iranian government collecting bits and pieces of information, which according to the FBI, uh, was part of what they call capture and kill operation. Jafar Zadi and his colleagues who were based here in Washington managed to escape the danger. But the danger is still out there. And we've got the details coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On April 8th, the U.S. government designated Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, including its Quds Force, as a foreign terrorist organization. It may have seemed like a purely political act, but there is a real threat when it comes to the Iranian government operating in the U.S. In July of 2018, I spoke with Ali Reza Jafarzadeh, Deputy Director of the Washington Office of the National Council of Resistance of Iran, about a brazen plot to bomb an event with more than 100,000 people in attendance. But it turns out that wasn't the only illicit activity of the Iranian government. There was some here in the U.S., and Jafarzadeh himself was a target. When we started off our interview... Jafarzadi said the designation was long overdue. Well, the designation of the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, also known as IRGC, as a foreign terrorist organization by the U.S. Department of State is very important. In fact, it's long overdue because this designation and treatment should have been done long ago in the uh, mid-1980s when the Iran regime's Revolution Guards uh, waged its terror operations against the United States and other countries in the region. Uh, people remember the 1983 Marion Barracks bombing uh, in Lebanon. Uh, hundreds of Americans were killed and a whole host of uh, other terror operations, including the 1996 um, um, Hobart Tower bombing, uh, where 19 American servicemen were killed, um, and not to mention the terror operations in Iraq that over uh, 600 Americans directly as a result of the Iran regime's um, IEDs and EFPs uh, sent to Iraq were killed. And uh, also Iranian dissidents have been targeted by the Iranian regime. And uh, therefore, the uh, 
the FTO designation of the IRGC is warranted, is well-placed, is long overdue, mm -hmm. and we need to get into action in fully implementing it. Obviously, there's something now, all these years later, that's prompted the uh, current administration to take this action. Uh, that Nobody was moved before to do something like this until now. What do you believe, what do you suppose is the reason why now, all these years after what you mentioned, uh, this uh, problems, when this problem started, why do you suppose it's happening now? Well, um uh, honestly speaking, uh, JJ, um, you know, the policies of the United States over the past few decades, and I'm not just talking about one administration, over several administrations, was basically trying to reach out to the Iran regime and uh, trying to appease the Ayatollahs, hoping that um, the um, giving concessions to the Iran regime would alter the behavior uh, of them. Uh, to the contrary, the regime got bolder and bolder. Every time the regime did a terror operation, they got some kind of a reward for it. And, um, and that's why um, terrorism never ended. And um, the world has now realized after nearly 40 years of the rule of the mullahs, that the only language you can really speak with the regime in Tehran is the language of firmness. And um, if you stand firm against them, then they, they will back down. And um, I think that's as a result of that. Second, um, I think the administration has seen the sentiment of the people of Iran that throughout the widespread demonstrations all over the country and how people themselves are very angry at the IRGC, which is controlling the lion's share of the Iranian economy and sending the money to um, Lebanon, to Syria, to Iraq, to Yemen, uh, to fund terror and, and chaos. And, and that's why I think they realize that this is the time to do what they should have done long ago. You yourself have found yourself recently, fairly recently, in uh, as a target of uh, IRGC activities. Tell us about it. Well, you know, the Iran regime is very um, paranoid um, about the activities of the main organized opposition inside Iran in light of the uprising in over 140 cities across the country. And therefore, they want to uh, silence the opposition. They increase the number of arrests and killings inside Iran to no avail. And uh, they did a huge campaign of demonization and propaganda against the opposition. That didn't work. And then they started uh, eliminating uh, members of the opposition movement or gatherings. And you reported before about the uh, uh, July 2018 uh, terror plots in Paris, uh, which was foiled by the European nations. Then the regime started thinking, okay, why don't we do something in the United States? So they had two Iranian agents who were spying on our activities here uh, because they know how effective we have been. Remember, 
that um, the all the major nuclear sites of uh, Iran were exposed by our movement, many of them right here in Washington. I remember still the day on August 14, 2002, when I walked into the room before the media and exposed the nuclear sites in Natanz and Iraq. Well, one of them was a uranium enrichment facility, the other one heavy weather facility. These were the two key nuclear sites of Iran that immediately after um, uh, you know, my press conference, the um, International Atomic Energy Agency got involved and asked to inspect the Iranian site, something they hadn't done before at all. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing triggered. The whole international attention about the nuclear weapons program of Iran was triggered as a result of that press conference here in Washington. And again, in 2011, um, you know, we revealed the... Um, organization that was run by the military that overseeing all of the nuclear weapons program uh, of the Iran regime, which was confirmed later on, um, and the State Department designated that organization called SEPAND um, uh, three years later. Uh, so the regime has seen how effective uh, we have been. That's why they were thinking of targeting us. Thank God the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation arrested two Iranian regime's agents who are now in jail um, right here in the United States. And I'm sure there are many more of those agents who are still operating on the American soil. Uh, Ali Reza, when did this most recent situation take place where you're talking about these two people were spying on you uh, and were arrested? Uh, when, did, when did that take place? That was in um, August of 2018 um, that these two um, agents um, uh, who were spying, taking pictures, collecting information, and were operating in a in the most secret secretive way, and trying to lure us to uh, come to places where they could extract information to to get um, the the information about our whereabouts, our activities, just collecting bits and pieces of information, which according to the FBI. Uh, was part of the uh, the larger uh, package that, that what they call capture and kill operation. Hmm. Um, and uh, thank God that, you know, the authorities here in the United States acted just in time uh, before they were able to do um, anything meaningful. Uh, but uh, in reality, that doesn't mean that the regime's operations has stopped. The regime has an extensive network of activities, both the um, Minister of Intelligence um, plus, you know, other agents that they have here in the United States and those who are uh, also tied to the IRGC. Um, so that's why the um, FTO designation will enhance the the situation for the law enforcement agencies here to really be able to go after the Iran regime's agents who uh, are up to no good and they have nefarious plans uh, in this country. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that's why I welcome that. Let me ask you how they were were to how did how were authorities tipped off? How how did you find out about these two? What led you to b believe that this was going on and tipped off authorities? We didn't tip off the authorities about these two individuals. Uh, we had no idea about their activities and 
you know, what they were up to. Um, the um, Federal Bureau of Investigation, on their own, they managed to find out uh, about, you know, these two, one of them um, who had come from Iran, um, someone who was actually born here um, 30 some years ago, but only when he was like a year old or two years old, the, his family moved out of the United States to Canada and back to Iran. And so he had... Um, he was, uh, you know, he had the citizenship. He could travel uh, back and forth. He had made some travels before, but he was uh, predominantly based in um, in Iran and uh, working for the regime. And then um, uh, a year uh, before, in in March of 2018, he was sent to the United States with the mission of uh, recruiting another agent who was uh, a green card holder. Um, in the United States who was working in a restaurant in Los Angeles that that happened to be the restaurant that uh, myself and some of my colleagues uh, used to go there and and um, and you know that's how they were spying I remember you know this guy who was uh, a waiter at this restaurant constantly um, uh, tried to be around the table that I was eating there and talking with others and trying to see uh, you know, what my conversations are all about, to be very friendly, offering, you know, extra food and and complimentary food and all of that, which was a little unusual. But, you know, I didn't really know what the real incentives were. I just thought that, you know, maybe somebody was just nice um, in a restaurant was working. Um, and then later on, when I saw the um, arrest uh, taking place and looked at the pictures and realized this is the guy that was so friendly to me and, and reaching out in the restaurant and a whole host of other spying activities he had done. And that's how I found out. And these two were arrested in the United States? Yes, both of them were arrested in the United States uh, in uh, in August of 2018, um, and they appeared before uh, the court in Washington D.C. There's still uh, judicial proceedings uh, going on about the case of these two individuals, both of whom are still in jail. And um, you know, I'm I'm hoping that justice will be served. Uh, plus, you know, that would help tip um, information about uh, other agents of the Iran regime who are operating um, here in the United States. Okay, so this is Dustar and Gorbani, is that? Yes, okay. yes, exactly. So what has taken place with them? Have they had, have they gone to trial? What's what's going on with that? Yes, they. Uh, um, I don't think the trial has started, but I know they did appear before the uh, the judge. Uh, one of them in Chicago, uh, the other one here in Washington. But I believe both cases have now been moved to uh, Washington D.C. and the uh, legal proceedings are still taking place. Um, the trial hasn't started uh, yet. Um, so I don't know what's the latest uh, status on that. But you know, clearly they have very serious um, information and, and evidence about their uh, spying and plotting um, against us and in favor of the Iran regime. We started this conversation talking about the IRGC and the concern that the U.S. government has um, for activities that it is engaged in as a proxy of the Iranian government. And we've moved on to talk about some of these other 
uh, elements, uh, including you and your own personal concerns and safety. And um, none of what you have said or what's been done over the years seems to have stopped this activity by the Iranian government to try to target to uh, try to use proxy organizations to attack the U.S. and other Western organizations, even a plot some years ago uh, at the Cafe Milano restaurant in Georgetown to attack the Saudi ambassador. Um, Nothing seems to have stopped them. What do you think it would take to do that? Well, first of all, um, I believe in terms of efforts to stop them, Uh, None of the things that was done was adequate. It wasn't pursued with the level of determination and the expansion needed to target them because overall the policy was very favorable, um, you know, in the United States towards the Iran regime. They were looking to work with the regime. So that opened a lot of the gates and, and doors for the Iranian agents to freely operate under different covers that they owe their you know, part of business, they want to improve relations, um, under tourism, under like the name of academics, discussions, panel discussions, they use so many different, uh, different covers. So that, that created an opportunity for the Iran regime to operate freely. So th- uh, that needs to really change, which somewhat it has, and we, uh, the United States need to really focus on them, but also on the Minister of Intelligence um, and Security, also known as MOIS, which is behind a lot of these terror plots um, in Europe and also here. They do work um, hand in hand in most of these uh, operations with the IRGC, but we need to have another separate attention on the MIS operations. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, JJ, I think, you know, until so long as this regime is in power, they will continue to do uh, terror plots in the region here in Europe and, and elsewhere. Uh, this is part and parcel of this regime. And and that's why it's so important to understand uh, what the people of Iran are looking for, what they're striving for, um, and understand the reasons behind the nationwide uprising in Iran that seeks regime change by the Iranian people, not the Iraqi style. Um, And they want uh, nothing from the outside world except Uh, you know, just hold the regime responsible for whatever actions they have done, nefarious actions. Uh, The rest is with the people of Iran. Just recognize the fact that the Iranian people have the right um, to stand up against their repressive regime, just the same way that this happened here in the United States. People, you know, um, uh, stood up and and, uh, won the independence of this country. Uh, It's the same situation for the people of Iran um, to stand for their firm beliefs for freedom, for democracy, for equal opportunities for everyone, for religious freedoms, for uh, gender equality, for, you know, living in coexistence with all their neighbors rather than just exporting chaos and terror as the regime does. And, you know, the regime wants to push the the Jews to the sea. That's like their agenda. Whereas we believe that, uh, you know, there has to be peace in the Middle East, a um, two-state solution uh, in the the region. We we don't need to have a nuclear weapons program. It's only used to uh, continue the rule of the Ayatollahs. We need to have a a non-nuclear Iran. And that's why the leader of our movement, 
Mrs. Mariam Rajavi, who was actually the keynote speaker in um, in Paris event in July, where over 100,000 people participated, and that was the target of that major terror plot, she has called for, uh, you know, a 10-point plan that says the future of Iran should be a, a free country based on only the vote of the population, based on separation of church and state, freedom of political parties, freedom of press, uh, gender equality, um, uh, abolition of death penalty, putting aside all of these fightings and chaos and, and instability and, and seek a, a secular, democratic, non-nuclear republic form of government in Iran. And that's very much attainable. And you, the work that you've done has been uh, commendable uh, in all of the projects that your organization has been involved in. It's been inclusive, it's been diverse, and it's been um, very diligent. Uh, so I, I'm grateful that you took some time to talk to me about this. This is um, great information. I would like to ask another line of questions uh, before we end the conversation. And that line of question involves American hostages in Iran. Um, we know that there are a number of people that are believed to be uh, held hostage somewhere in Iran, including uh, including Robert Levinson, a former FBI agent. Uh, what do you believe is the latest on that? I don't have um, um, any information um, about that, but uh, also I think uh, the whole issue that you brought up, the American hostages in Iran, unfortunately, unfortunately, this has been like part and parcel of the policy of terrorism pursued by the regime uh, since the time they came to power uh, in Iran. This is not different than the hostage uh, taking that they were pursuing in Lebanon. If you recall, many people may remember in the 80s and the 90s how the regime was using its proxy groups um, in Lebanon, taking Americans and also other Western um, nationals hostage, and then start negotiating um, to get concessions and use them as like a bargaining chip. Uh, this is like so inhumane um, to, to do these to human beings. And the same tactic they're using still now in different forms, in different shapes, um, you know, taking Americans, uh, American citizens hostage in Iran under different charges, different excuses. One is accused of, you know, being a spy. The other one, like, hurting the national security. This is all games that the regime is playing, hoping that this way they can still get some kind of concessions. They will, they will, this will take the um, foreign policy of the United States as hostage because they, you know, they were hoping that this will make the United States cautious in doing anything tough or firm against the regime. And the best way to counter it, uh, at least, uh, you know, in the in the short run, is to stand really, really firm and make sure Tehran understands that the U.S. is not going to negotiate uh, on the issue of terrorism at all. Uh, period. And then in the long run, uh, the ultimate solution, as I said earlier, is to um, recognize the right of the people of Iran to um, free their country. Um, and that, that way you will see an end to terrorism and hostage taking. Remember all of the chaos that you see shaping up um, in the region now were primarily 
as a result of the rule of the Ayatollahs in Iran in 1979. They changed the whole shape and f face of terrorism. They changed, uh, you know, the definition for a lot of things. And um, and that's why we feel that with a, with a change of regime in Iran by the people of Iran, uh, it's going to uh, impact hugely um, all of the countries in the region. If it weren't for the Ayatollahs, Assad would not be in power. Uh, you wouldn't have these Shiite militias running the show in Iraq. You wouldn't have, you know, Houthis uh, threatening in in in, um, in Yemen and also, you know, Hezbollah in Lebanon, which was, a, you know, a creation of the uh, the Iran regime. Um, all of that will uh, will go away, and you will see the potentials, the great potentials of the people in the region to flourish, to build their society forward, to be able to talk about our really deep-rooted culture and art and, you know, the, the values of humanity um, that has been forgotten as a result of this repression and the chaos and terror instigated primarily by the Iran regime. Last thing I would I would ask you, um, uh, this is going to continue for some time. It's not going to end uh Overnight and certainly, uh, who knows when, but uh, not likely anytime soon. So, what are you and your colleagues doing about your safety? Well, I'm not. I'm not thinking about that. You you mentioned about you know my role here. I, I'll tell you honestly, uh, JJ. I feel like I'm a very, very, very small part of this. This is like much bigger that any of us, um, this is a, a nationwide movement that has been in existence for over 50 years. Uh, the, the thirst for freedom in Iran is so big and so deep-rooted uh, that, that nothing is going to uh, affect it. And uh, honestly speaking, I, I, you know, I, I think the law enforcement agencies um, here in the United States uh, who have been a lot more vigilant now than they have been this is really their job, their responsibility. My job is just to focus on uh, our work, our, our mission, our message, to be able to spread the world about the, the wrongdoings of the Iran regime, but at the same time to talk about the positive side, how um, a, a free Iran, a democratic Iran is actually attainable, is doable, and what we can do to help the people of Iran achieving their goal which would be the same goal that people have here in this country. Well, you know, that's that's noble. But as you know, uh, I'm a national security reporter. And the question I actually asked you was what you're doing about your security. So I'm asking specifically about that, understanding that you can't go into detail. But I do, I would like for you to answer that question. Well, as I said, I mean, you know, in terms of, I, I can't go into the details about like the, the security, but all I, I can tell you is that, um, you know, by um, understanding the nature of the Iran regime, that their their increased threat, um, it's really not a threat to my security only because you know anything the regime does in this country that's that's hurting the safety and security of everybody in this country. So I don't look at this as an individual. I look at it in the big picture mm -hmm. that the law enforcement agencies should be very vigilant about the activities of the regime and understand their tricks, their tactics, and to be able to go after their network to really come down hard on the regime's Minister of Intelligence operations right here in the United States, including in Washington, D.C. Uh, that way, everyone will be safer, including myself. Excellent. 
Ali Reza, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I do uh, wish you and your colleagues the best. We will continue to watch this. Thank you so much, JJ. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up on our next episode, we promised you a look at the Mueller report. And more importantly, the impact all of the consternation has had on the U.S. That's coming up in our next edition. If you have any questions or comments about the program, any topic suggestions, or anything you want to know, just shoot me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskey, tango, Oscar, papa, wtop.com. Also, I've got a brand new newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. It drops every Thursday. What we do is dig into many of the national security and intelligence stories that you don't hear about and details, specific tidbits of information that I've found out that you won't find anywhere else. It's in there. You can subscribe at WTOP.com slash alerts. Also, follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, folks, have you heard of Under Review? It's on Podcast One, presented by BET Online. Get the odds, news, and insights from real industry insiders. This isn't your typical schlocky picks show. Get the real trends and info with your host, Damon D. Download new episodes of Under Review, presented by BET Online, every week on Apple Podcast and Podcast One. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.